Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Why is it so hard for us to forgive some people? Because they haven't changed and they see nothing wrong with what they've done to us. So this is important to see. At the end of chapter 31, Jacob is going to leave Laban and there were two ways that Jacob could have left Laban. Jacob could have left Laban without forgiving him, without forgetting all he did. So there'll be no meal, there'll be no pillar, we'll never see each other again, and we'll go our way. He would have gone nowhere with God. Jacob would have gone nowhere with God. The other way, which he did, totally forgive Laban, forget. And now Jacob opens the door for the angels of God to meet him. And that's what happened. And the same is true for us. There are people in our past who have deeply offended us, and they've stayed the same. They've not changed. If anything, they've become worse, like Laban. You just should really, just right now, just sort of take a moment and think about that and ask yourself the question, is there anyone that I have not totally forgiven and forgotten what they did? Is there a Laban in my life? Someone in the life who has wronged, and then we say, well, I'll forgive when they change. No realize it makes no sense to try to go on with God until we've done what Jacob's done at the end of chapter 31, which is forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. Now's the time. Resolve. Have a meal with that person. Talk friendship like Jacob did. Show you've forgiven, forgotten. Now, when Jacob forgave, it was for Jacob's benefit. When we forgive, it's for our benefit as to go on with God. The Lord Jesus Christ said, if you don't do that, full stop, you're going nowhere. Express that in Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest, ah, remember, that thy brother hath ought against thee. It's not what you have against him. Leave there thy gift before the altar. Full stop, you're not going anywhere. Stop, he said, and go thy way. Leave. First, be reconciled to thy brother. Then come. Offer thy gift. And he's saying, right now, you want to go on with God? Remember, you've got a brother that's got something against you, or you've got something against a brother. Forget about your gift. Leave it there at the altar, and then go and get reconciled. And as for the matter of a person who has to first change before I forgive him, the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 18.21, Matthew 18.21, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So Peter was asking the Lord about a person who does not change because he keeps doing the same thing. 
and how many times he has to forgive him for doing the same thing. And then Peter thinks to himself, well, seven is the number of completion. That's certainly got to be enough, you know? And so by saying, so when the Lord replied, 70 times seven, in other words, don't do the math. It's just without number. In other words, the Lord's saying, it's wrong to base our forgiveness on the prerequisite that the offender has to be apologetic and has to change, show remorse. The point of all this was that after Jacob forgave the same old Laban, then the angels of God met him. So these angels of God meet Jacob after this crisis is behind him, and he's got another crisis looming, as you saw. And can't we just picture the drama of this scene? I mean, there Jacob, he's sort of plodding along with his defenseless company, when all of a sudden he sees this bright army of angels, and we can imagine thinking to himself, reinforcements, <laughs> God's reinforcements. And um, these angels, I mean, he's in a troubled state of mind. The angels come, they're visible to him. You know, it reminds us of what happened to Paul in Acts 22.6, Acts 22.6, where Paul said, it came to pass that as I made my journey and came nigh to Damascus about noon, Suddenly, there shone from heaven a great light round about me, and I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I answered, Who art thou, Lord? He said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. They that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. See, only Paul heard the voice. God decided that only Paul should hear the voice. We don't know, but... There's nothing said about anyone else in Jacob's company seeing these angels other than Jacob. It appears that they were only visible to Jacob. It shows that God meets us and encourages us when we have a crisis in our lives. Seeing these, these angels for Jacob was a preparation because Jacob was going into a big trial. He needed God, and God had prepared Jacob with a great encouragement to pray to God by seeing these angels. That's a pattern. That's a pattern with God. Jacob did not know, but God knew what was going to happen to Jacob in this chapter, a great trial. And by seeing these angels, these angels of God, God prepared Jacob. We don't know, but God knows what's going to happen to us each day. But God has a time where he prepares us for the unknown trials of the day, and that time is the beginning of the day in our quiet time. That's when God prepares us for the trials that we don't know about that we're going to face during the day. Now, who's going to die today? Nobody knows. What's going to happen? What tragedies? Nobody knows. God knows. But God was interested in preparing Jacob, so he lets him see these angels. God's interested to prepare us for the trials that we don't know about. I mean, what do you think these angels did when they met Jacob? You think they nodded to him and said, how's it going? <laughs> <You know? laughs> these angels, they might have celebrated with Jacob. They might have said, you know what? You just had to triumph over Laban by forgiving Laban, not holding on to your anger and your bitterness. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. I mean, the angels did that after the Lord's victory over Satan in the wilderness when the angels came and ministered to him. It was a celebration. And seeing the angels reminded Jacob that, hey, my deliverance and my help comes from God. But for sure, God intended that for Jacob to see that God was protecting him for when he would meet Esau. 
And this is a union, as we mentioned before, this is a union of the visible and the invisible worlds. Jacob went on his way. That's visible. The angels of God met him. That was the invisible that became visible. And we've got a visible and an invisible world around us. Jacob going on his way shows Jacob's weak. Angels of God meeting him shows Jacob strong. These angels were perfectly on time just when he went on his way. The angels will be there for us, not a second too early, not a second too late, just when we need them. Now, does verse 1, chapter 32, does verse 1 say Jacob met the angels? It says the angels met him. It says the angels met Jacob. There's a big difference. There's a difference between Jacob met the angels and the angels met Jacob. If it said Jacob met the angels of God, it would imply that Jacob was purposefully looking for God's help. But when it says that the angels of God met Jacob, that means the angels of God came on purpose to meet Jacob. They met Jacob because they were sent by God to meet Jacob. It's just like our encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Jacob did not meet the angels, we did not meet the Lord Jesus Christ because we were purposefully looking for him. Just as the angels met Jacob, the Lord Jesus Christ met us. Someone told us about the Lord Jesus, and we were encouraged to seek him. That's, that's what we're, we're seeing in this chapter. First, the angels of God meet Jacob. Then Jacob prays to God for help. God sends a, a squadron of angels to meet one lone man. Not a perfect man, but a man that, with God's hand on him. There's a wonderful picture for us here to see when it says the angels of God met Jacob. Jacob has just come out of a terrible experience in Syria. He's just come into Canaan, and what happens? The angels of God meet him. What for? Well, as we said, congratulate him, but also welcome him. Welcome to Canaan. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that a picture of the Christian who ends his pilgrim life here on earth and comes home to heaven? And as he enters heaven, angels congratulate him on his victory over the wicked one, as it says in 1 John 2.14, I've written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Congratulations, they say. And then, welcome home, Jacob. Welcome to Canaan. Just like the angels of God came to Jacob and they say to him, welcome, you've come to the land of your fathers. You can almost hear the words of Hebrews 12.22. Hebrews 12, 22, but you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the no covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So he sees these angels, and he says with a surprise, ah, this is God's host. That's just like the time, you know, Jacob's always doing it. This is God's host. And that's like the time when he said, the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven in Genesis 28, 17. Genesis 28, 17 talks about Jacob. He was afraid. He said, how dreadful this place. This is none other but the house of God, Bethel, and this is the gate of heaven. That's why he called the name of the place Bethel. So what impressed Jacob? What impressed Jacob when he saw those angels? That's the question. What was it? There were a lot of them. (laughs) The sheer number of them. He says, host immense. Because they were a multitude. There were so many of them. That's what impressed Elijah. 
when he told his servant Gehazi, don't you worry about that big army of the Syrians, here they are again, of the Syrians that have all around you. He says, the sheer number of the angels, the immensity of the angels, when Elijah said to Gehazi in 1 Kings 6.15, 1 Kings 6.15, for they that be with us are more than they be with them. Not a single angel to protect Jacob, but a troop of angels God dispatched. Why should we care if we have a guardian angel? (laughs) There's a host protecting us. So in this instance, Jacob is allowed to step over the line from the visible to the invisible. They were always there. They were present. It was just that they were hid from his eyes. Jacob was very happy when he saw those angels. It's like a shout of a cheer, you know. He says, oh, this is the host, God's host. Now, the word that he used to mark the place is the word machanaim, and it's very important. It says, and he called the name of that place Mahanaim, uh, which means two camps. Mahanaim comes from the root Hana. Hana. Hana means to bend down, like bending down to make a camp. That's what the root means. So he says two camps. What did he mean? What did Jacob mean when he said two camps? He meant his little camp and God's great camp. You know, my family and I, we set up this camp here. And what's in the visible, it's in the physical realm. But unknown to, unknown to us, the angels of God set up another camp right next to us in the invisible spiritual realm. We can't see, but our lives are machanaim. Our lives are machanaim with two camps. Our camp and another camp spoken of in Psalm 34.7. Psalm 34.7 where it says, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Psalm 34, 7, the word encampeth is the word chana from machanaim. So Jacob understands that God's camp has just camped next to him and they're all around him in this trial and he's got help. Jacob is a helped person. We are helped people. You know, at Israel Restoration Ministries, we have phone called over one million Jewish people in the U.S. to offer them gospel DVDs and literature. And one person who was working, no longer works for us, but he was working in our purchasing department, he ordered the phone lines from AT&T for calling. I don't know what happened, but he probably gave his name to AT&T, and AT&T used his name for the caller ID. So that person has now sued us for defaming his name. He claims we defamed his name because he personally does not believe that Jewish people should be called and offered gospel gift. His wife also has a separate lawsuit against us. So two weeks ago, I was in an all-day deposition recorded by video for that lawsuit where the caller ID doesn't believe in calling the Jewish people. And so all during that time, I was being passed by the opposing attorney under video camera, one piece of gospel literature that I'd written after another. And I was asked, you know, all day long during this, you know, under deposition, like I said, from people who are opposed to the gospel outreach to the Jewish people. And I dreaded that deposition, and I didn't want it to be deposed. I asked the court for, through my attorney, through a protective order to not have me testify all day. The court denied it. We appealed it. The appellate court denied it. So I had to go, and I was dreading it. But the angels of God were with me, and they encouraged me. Because every time the opposing attorney handed me a gospel booklet that I wrote and then asked, 
did you write this? I said, well, I have to check. So <laughs> I calmly read the whole book, you know, which was full of scripture. I was so blessed by the scriptures in those booklets. As I read those scriptures, I started to smile. <laughs> I was transported from the world of a court deposition into the wonderful world of God with the scriptures. What God did for me was nothing less than Psalm 23, 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. See, that happened as I was being questioned by the adversary. God prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My head, which was troubled, was now anointed with oil, my cup ran over. I was so enjoying reading all those scriptures that when five o'clock came, I was actually disappointed that it ended. And I, I, said, I wanted to say, I could do this all night. Don't you have some more booklets for me to ask me about? <laughs> and sometimes we can cry with Jacob, the angels of God met me today. And one of those times, those are times before a great trial, when we have, or times when we have separated ourselves from our labans, from the world, we feel lonely. But like Jacob, our desire is to separate ourselves from the world of Laban's and enter into a closer union with God, separated life, when we've had enough of this world's attractions, enough of this world's entertainments, we want to separate into God, then the angels of God meet us. And when God saw those angels, it was as if the angels said to Jacob, Jacob, you remember on that night 20 years ago in Bethel when we said goodbye, when you slept on that stone for a pillow? You gave your vow, remember? We remember your vow, you know, if God will do this and that, then God will be your God. You remember? You remember when back in Bethel, when you said goodbye to God? Well, for those 20 years, you've been like the prodigal son in the pig pen. And God, as the father of the prodigal, has been waiting for you and watching for you to come back today. You've come back. We're glad to see you. Welcome back, Jacob. We're so glad you're back. Now you're under our special care. Life is not going to be the same can have a great life with God. So the angels come out to meet Jacob because Jacob had come out to, because Esau had come out to meet Jacob. Esau was armed to the teeth. Esau was thirsty for Jacob's blood. And this was the time when Jacob needed special attention. He needed Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He's my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler, from the noise and pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness. Sounds like the Zika virus nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand shall not come nigh thee. See, not single angels, troops. He appointed. So it was extraordinary for Jacob to see this because he was going to face an extraordinary trial. That's why it's important for us to remember how God has undertaken for us. I mentioned one lawsuit. Actually, tis the season for former employees to sue us. Seven former employees sued us. But um, And a bad outcome in those trials could cripple us as a company. So we've been praying to God for help. And just last Friday, we had a hearing, and the judge threw out a number of those claims against us, the claims of that, we were, that we were harassing employees and had a hostile work environment. Poor Jim here. <laughs> so enraged, the lawyer suing us, that she yelled at the judge, and the judge had to ask her to stop yelling at him. 
So there are specific times in our lives when God especially undertakes for us, and those are the times we need to specifically remember. Remembering is important. And Peter emphasized remembering in 2 Peter 1, 12, 2 Peter 1, 12, when he said, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. See, the problem is not that we don't know or understand what we've learned in the past. The problem is we don't remember it. We don't remember what we've learned. So Peter said that he's going to endeavor to always put us in remembrance. My goal as a teacher is not to teach you some new truth every week from the Bible, but I strive to have the truths that you already know, we already know, in your remembrance, to remember. That's why Jacob named the place Mahanaim, so that every time he came to that location or he told someone else to go to that location, by the name he would remember how in his trials he saw the angels of God. Okay, now, chapter 32, as I mentioned, is a very, very important chapter because for each of the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there is a chapter that is the most important chapter in their lives, and each of those chapters describe how they came to a full submission to God. This is the most important chapter in the life of Jacob, where Jacob will wrestle with God and emerge clinging in full submission to God. This is the chapter where Jacob submits himself to God. What was the most important chapter in the life of Abraham that marked Abraham's full submission to God? What was that? That's it. In verse 12, Genesis twenty-two, twelve, Genesis twenty-two, twelve, where God said, now I know that thou fearest God. See, the end of the whole statement is, now I know thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. So Genesis 22 is the chapter where Abraham submitted, surrendered his son Isaac to God. What's the most important chapter in the life of Isaac that marked his full submission to God? It's the chapter right after where he said, where it's said in Genesis 27, 33, Isaac trembled very exceedingly. Okay? Chapter 28. It was the chapter that started with verse 1, Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, See, that's a chapter where Isaac submits to God and abandons his choice of Esau and instead chooses Jacob. So these are the three most important chapters in the lives of the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because in each of these chapters, we see chapter 22, Abraham submits to God. Chapter 28, Isaac submits to God. Chapter 32, Jacob submits to God. No one goes on with God unless they have a chapter like this, a submission to God. Salvation, that's one chapter in our lives. Submission, that's another chapter in the life of a believer. A person can be saved, does not mean he is submitted to God. No one really goes on with God without a chapter, a time when there is this surrender and submission to God. And that's what makes this chapter 32 the most important chapter in the life of Jacob, because in this chapter, Jacob submits to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for being so gentle, so protecting, so good to us. And help us, Lord, to submit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13.5-point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org.